Yes. Awesome. Hey, welcome to church today. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. I want to thank everybody for coming today. I want to thank everybody that's watching us online right now. Thank you so much for tuning in and staying connected to Passionate Life Church. Hey, real quick before we get into the word today, uh, we've got these little baggies that we've made up to help you invite someone uh, to Christmas uh, in our gingerbread extravaganza. Let me tell you, you're not going to want to miss uh, this extravaganza. It's going to be an awesome time to invite someone, your friends, your family um, that, that might not go to church or, or do go to church. It's just an awesome community event uh, to connect us together. Uh, Thrivent, um, a financial institution, they're a Christian financial institution that is going to be sponsoring the event. And so they've got uh, some pretty awesome prizes. Uh, we're going to have five different prizes. Uh, so parents, get your kids practicing building gingerbread houses this week. Come on. Give them some tips. Uh, it's going to be an awesome event. We're going to have pizza right after service. We're going to feed you. We're going to have some football games on. Uh, and then we're going to start right at 1 o'clock downstairs. All the uh, extravaganza is going to happen downstairs. Hot chocolate is going to be an amazing. And so please grab one or two of these and invite someone uh, to Christmas and our extravaganza. Okay? Awesome. We are in a series, a very very long series called The World vs. Word, and today we are wrapping up with the trust part of the series. We've been talking about why we can trust the Bible. I feel like it's very important before we get into the details and the nuances of Scripture and culture that we need to trust the Word of God. And so we are going through 10 reasons why we can trust the Bible. Today we're going to wrap up with the final three reasons we can trust the Word of God. Uh, I believe I'm going to pause the series uh, for Christmas uh, and have a, a Christmas uh, message that, that uh, Sunday. And so I don't, um, we're going to continue the series. We're going to get in specifics. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. Uh, I'm excited to continue on, especially getting into cultural issues, what the world says, and what the Word of God says. I'm excited for us to become uh, a biblically-based church with the foundation. All of our lives are lined up with Scripture. Amen. All of our lives are lined up in Scripture, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged uh, for uh, the next several weeks as we dive deep into certain subjects, all right? Come on, let's pray, and then we'll get into God's Word today. Father, we thank you for this moment. This is your moment, God. I think of every person that's in this room today and watching online that you have a purpose, you have a plan for our lives today. And so, God, I just ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds to your eternal word, that you would have your way today, God, that you have your way today in our hearts and our minds, and that we would draw just a little bit closer to you, Father, in Jesus' name. God, get me out of the way, none of me and all of you, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. All right, part nine today, reasons we can trust the Bible. Let's look at the number eight today, eight reason uh, we can trust the Bible. Uh, go ahead and put it up. We can trust the Bible because it is one unified story. We can trust the Bible because it is one unified story. It's one story about God. It is God's story from beginning to end. It's all about Him. And it's 
written in perfect unison. Okay, go ahead and, and put up uh, the note this morning. The books were picked because the early church recognized that these books had an inherent authority for how Christians live and what they believe. They believed that these books would have the same authority through all generations. And what's very interesting as you go through this and you research, you can't really find anyone who was solely responsible for putting the books of the Bible together. And isn't that just like God, that he would do it, just like he put the Bible together and had uh, these people write it, you can't really find a, a group of people who actually made the decisions. Now, they had some certain criteria, uh, and it's because that this book, uh, this book, this word of God was put together by God himself. So let's look at some fun facts here about the Bible. The Bible is a collection of 66 books and letters written by more than 40 authors over a period of about 1,500 years. That is astronomical that there are 66 different books, 40 different writers over a 15-year period that could write one story beginning to end. Let's continue. The Bible itself illustrates some of the materials used. Engravings in clay, inscriptions on tablets of stone, ink and papyrus, vellum, parchment, leather, and metals. And so it's just fascinating to know that different books of the Bible were written on different materials and it survived thousands upon thousands of years. The original language of the Bible includes Hebrew, uh, common Greek, and Aramaic. And so not only were there uh, different materials that the Bible was written on, uh, different authors, there were uh, different languages that the Bible was written, okay? And so what I want to do next is I just kind of want to show you a timeline, okay? I want you to visualize the timeline of the Bible, okay? So from creation, B.C., before Christ, to 2000, Originally, the earliest scriptures are handed down from generation to generation orally, okay? So really, the tradition was the father would speak the scriptures over his children, and they would be passed down from generation to generation, and this event happened every single day. Every single day, the scriptures were spoken over uh, their children. Okay, let's continue. Next timeline. 2000 to 1500, the book of Job, perhaps the oldest book of the Bible, is written. And so the book of Job was written uh, right around uh, 2000 uh, to 1500. So very, very early this book was written. Okay, so let's look at the next, next time frame. 1500 to 1400, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments are given to Moses at Mount Sinai and later stored in the Ark of the covenant. And so uh, God uh, wrote the Ten Commandments for Moses in stone, and they placed them in the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, there are certain rumors that, that we know where the Ark of the Covenant is, and no, it was in Indiana Jones. Okay, somebody's like, I, Indiana Jones found it. Hello? We already know that. No, he didn't find it. Um, supposedly, it's somewhere in, in Ethiopia. 
there's lots of different theories of, of where it is, um, but that's where they store the, the Ten Commandments in. Okay, so let's look at the next uh, timeline piece. Uh, 1400 to 400, the manuscripts comprising the original Hebrew Bible, which is 39 Old Testament books, are completed. The book of the law is kept in the tabernacle and later in the temple beside the Ark of the Covenant. Do you, do you see how early that the, these Old Testament books were written? I mean, that is really, really early. Okay, let's look at the next slide. Look at the next slide. By 300 B.C., all of the original Old Testament Hebrew books have been written, collected, and recognized as official canonical books. What does that mean? By 300 B.C., everybody saw these scriptures as holy and inspired by God. 300 years before Jesus even steps foot on earth, we have recognized that these 39 books uh, of the Old Testament are holy scriptures. Let's continue. From 250 to 200, the Septuagint, a popular Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, 39 Old Testament books, is produced. The 14 books of the Apocrypha are also included. So the Apocrypha are also writings that are written around the Old Testament books. They were not included uh, because they didn't feel like they fit into the biblical narrative of the one uh, story because they did have criteria to go through uh, whether or not something made it into the Bible. Okay, uh, 80, uh, 45 uh, through 100. Now this is after Jesus, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and I know we're fast forwarding uh, kind of quick, but uh, for time purposes we can't go through every single uh, thing. So 45 to 100, okay, original 27 books of the Greek New Testament are written, okay? Look how early that is, and we went through this, uh, a lot of this when we were talking about the, the, the eyewitnesses, right? There were eyewitnesses account that walked with Jesus, that, that talked with Jesus, that saw his miracles and were writing down in real time things that were happening. So by 45 to 100, uh, the original 27 books of the Greek New Testament are written. And we even talked about this earlier uh, in the series that uh, the Apostle Paul was quoting the Gospels already. Okay, he was already quoting the Gospels. They already saw the Gospels as holy, inspired scriptures. Uh, go ahead and put up the next slide. Uh, all the churches, now this is a supernatural act, okay? All the churches and church leaders at this time accepted all 27 books as inspired writings. If you know anything about churches working together and trying to be unified on anything, this is a supernatural miracle that only God could do, having churches actually work together and agree on anything, let alone 27 books of the Bible. Again, this is just an added layer of God's hand through everything. The earliest letters from the church fathers cited New Testament passages of Scripture. They treated the four and only four Gospels as Scripture right from the beginning. This is especially clear in the second century writings of Christians, such as in Ignatius, Justin the Martyr, and Irenaeus. It is also clear that they accepted Paul's letters as having divine uh, uh, authority. So very early uh, church leaders were identifying and, and, and seeing that, man, these scriptures are holy and anointed uh, scriptures from God. Let's continue. 
One very common idea about the New Testament canon is that it was decided by the Roman Emperor Constantine and the Council of Nicaea in A.D. 325. And so this is uh, Dan Brown, he wrote those books, you know, on um, you know, Mary Magdalene. It's basically false false teaching, false prophecy. He's one of the ones that kind of brought up this thing. And, and over centuries, th- th- this was kind of like the common thing that they thought it was Constantine picked the, the, you know, the 27 books. This is not true at all. This is completely false. Because look at how 325, it's so far away from when the, the New Testament was actually written and when they decided this. So this is false. Constantine did not decide what was put in the New Testament, all right? So, uh, through this time, now we're going to fast forward like a thousand years here. Um, through this time, though, uh, God uh, picked uh, different people to really protect the Word of God. And, and he had lots of monks that were protecting and writing, uh, and, and writing Scripture and, and scribing things and protecting them in, in different caves. And so we fast forward, uh, you know, preserving Many people preserve the gospel and the New Testament and the Old Testament. So we fast forward to 1381 to 1382. And the reason why I wanted to highlight this, it's because for us English-speaking people, okay? We're, we're English-speaking people, so this is kind of a highlight for, for us here. Uh, John Wycliffe and Associates, in defiance of the organized church, because during this time, the organized church did not believe people should be able to read the Bible for themselves. Believing that people should be permitted to read the Bible in their own language began to translate and produce the first handwritten manuscript of the entire Bible in English. These included 39 Old Testament books and 14 apocryphal books. So 1381 to 1382. So that wasn't that long ago, okay, that we have the first translation into English. English. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Peter says this, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. And so Peter's saying even the prophets, they're writing the Old Testament and these prophecies about the Messiah and about Jesus and the, and the coming of God. The, the men are like, man, They were just wondering because they knew that what they were writing about was not for them, but for a future generation. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. And so even as they were writing these scriptures, they knew that they weren't writing them for themselves but they were writing them for future generations. And we talked about that last week as we talked about prophecy, how there's 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. 2,000 of them have already come true. All right, reason number nine, reason number nine that we can trust the Bible. The Bible has survived and thrived through all attacks. The Bible has survived and thrived through all attacks. If the Bible was just a storybook made up of fables that weren't real, why then is the Bible made illegal in 54 countries? And really, it's, it's more like 59 countries because like, like some country, if you get caught with a Bible, you get arrested. 
uh, or, or, or um, and, you know, you get beaten or tortured. Uh, some countries won't even let the Bible through customs. Uh, and, and so 5,400, but it's more like 59. If the Bible was nothing more than just something that's made up, then why are countries threatened by it? Just the existence of the Word of God. Uh, let, let's continue. <clears throat> the, the Bible is the best-selling book every year by far, and six billion copies are in circulation. The Bible is the best-selling book by far every year, and it's not even close. Currently right now, for full copies, we have uh, a little bit over 6 billion copies in circulation all over the world. 1 Peter 1, 24 through 25. Peter says this, People are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So all of these, we're going to go through just three attacks this morning and just some really early on attacks of Scripture. So you can see that Satan did not want Scripture uh, to survive. That, that man, he tried to destroy it at a very early time. If he can destroy something very early before it gets momentum, before it can grow, before it can spread, man, he has won, man, right? He, he has limited the effectiveness of, of God's word. And so let's look at attack number one today. Uh, and this is the reference from 2 Kings 23, 28 through 37. The prophet Jeremiah was commissioned by Jehovah to write a sacred scroll which threatened divine destruction unless the king and his people repented of their wickedness. Not a great letter to write to the king. <laughs> Repent or you'll be destroyed. Jehoiakim treated the matter with absolute contempt. After briefly listening to the message being read, he confiscated the scroll, cut up the leaves with a knife, and cast them into a fire, and the reference is Jeremiah 36. So literally, in real time, you know, Jeremiah's writing the word of God, right, inspired by God. In real time, uh, the kings are destroying it. He cuts it up, and he throws it in the fire. So Satan was trying to destroy this thing from the very beginning. Attack number two. Go ahead and put up attack number two. After the death of Alexander the Great, the Greek empire was divided into four segments, and this was prophesied by Daniel in 8.8. And the Jewish people fell under the control of the remarkable evil ruler whose name was Antichus Epiphanes. Antichus, known popular as the Madman. If that's your nickname, you're probably not a good person, okay? Launched a bloody persecution against the Hebrew people. And we see this over and over in history. The Jews are, are, are man, they're targeted, and, and Satan wants to wipe out God's people. One aspect of this vendetta was an attempt to destroy copies of the Jewish uh, scriptures. Let's, let's continue. An ancient document records this episode, and the officials of Antiochus rent in pieces the books of the law which they found and set them on fire. 
And where, wheresoever was found with any a book of the covenant, and if any consented to the law, the king's sentence delivered him to death. And this is from the Apocrypha in 1 Maccabees 1, 56 through 57. And so here we see real historic documents stating that the people in charge wanted to destroy God's word. The historian Josephus, during the same time, comments on this also. He says, and if there were any sacred books of the law found, it was destroyed. And those Jews with whom they were found miserably perished also. And so there was a movement early on, one, to kill God's people and to kill his word. He wanted to destroy, Satan wanted to destroy the word of God. Why? Because he knew how powerful it is. He knew that it was written by God, anointed by God, inspired by God, and that it would transform God's people. Let's look at attack number three today. Attack number three. Diocletians occupied the imperial throne from 284 to 305 AD. Okay, so this is pretty early on. In 303 AD, he inaugurated a series of merciless persecutions upon those who professed the religion of Christ. Hearst notes this. All assemblies of Christians were forbidden and churches were ordered to be torn down. Four different edicts were issued, each excelling the preceding in intensity. One edict ordered the burning of every copy of the Bible. And this happened all throughout history, all over the world. Attack after attack after attack, destroying God's word, burning God's word. But because God's word is supernatural, put together by God, Amen. it will last forever. And we see this happening today in, in, in current time, in, in current culture, right? Even in the United States. Several years ago, uh, the state of California tried to ban the Bible. They actually tried to ban the Bible. There, there, there's actually school systems in Florida and Missouri that uh, have banned the Bible from their school libraries. And so there, there is a movement that's happening even in our country to remove God's word from our schools, from our universities, from our libraries. Why? Because Satan knows if God's people started to live by the word of God, we could radically change everything in our community, in our government, and in our world. That is why it is so that, that is why there can be some, so many challenges for us to get our, in our Bible every single day. Some of you, you open the Bible and instantly you're like, right? It's just like instantly you just want to fall asleep. That is a spiritual attack against you. That, that is what is happening right now to you. You are being spiritually attacked. Why? Because Satan does not want you to get into this book. Because this book has power. This book has transformational power in your life if you choose to align with it. We see the attacks uh, on, on Scripture in, in China. Um, and I talked about this earlier. They're writing their own Bible. And they're not making up stories. They're literally going line from line 
uh, at least I know, in the New Testament, and they're just rewriting the stories. So you want to talk about confusion, right? It, 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 you're, you're someone in China, and you're, you're getting what you think is the Holy Bible, and it's actually the Chinese Bible. And, and you're hearing that, that Jesus wasn't someone that was perfect or God, and you're hearing all of these confusing things, and that's the first thing that you get. I mean, guys, there is a spiritual warfare that is happening over this book. But here's the thing. You can't stop the Word of God. China estimates some 50 million copies of the Bible are smuggled into their country every single year. The biggest church in the world right now is in Iran. Just, just, just like, like, let that blow your mind. Like, like people are, are literally killed. Uh, uh, parents are killed in front of their children in Iran for declaring the word of God, declaring that they are a, a Christian and they have the biggest church in the world. You can't stop the word of God. It is supernatural. It will last forever. Reason number 10, people were willing to die for it. People were willing to die for the Bible to be translated into different languages. People were willing to die for the Bible to be printed. People were willing to die to protect the Word of God. Now, I don't know about you, but there are very few things that I would give up my life for. Some of you diehard Broncos fans. Okay, you're a diehard Broncos fan. You probably wouldn't give up your life for the Broncos. At least I hope not, okay? I mean, just think about that for a moment. Just, just kind of process through that for a moment. Uh, think about the things, and, and I know we have some soldiers here. We have some people uh, that are from the military that, that were willing to, you know, give up their life. They, they went to war, and they fought in battles, and they were willing to, to give up their life for the freedom of our country. And let me tell you, that, that is an astronomical, man, selfless act that you would do that. And for me, I, I thank you for, for being willing to, to, to sacrifice your life to, to protect our freedom as, as you know, Americans. And, but most of us won't, won't die for a lot of different things. I mean, just think about it. You know, maybe your family, maybe your spouse, maybe your kids. These individuals were willing to die so you could get a copy of this in your hands. I mean, just, just, just think about that sacrifice. They were willing to sacrifice their life so you could have one of these in your homes. And so many of us struggle to open it. So many struggle to, to, to read it. And so many people thought that it was important enough that they were willing to give up their life so we could have a copy of God's word. I just picked one example today. There's so many examples. But I wanted to pick one today um, that was relatable to our English, uh, you, you know, uh, English-speaking situation today, okay? I want to talk about a guy uh, by the name of William Tyndale, who was a linguist, who believed that everyone should be able to read the Bible in their own language. Now, we're sitting here in 2023, we're like, yeah, Pastor, that's, yeah, everyone should be able, guys, this was not common. 
during this time at all. Like the church wanted to control who could read the Bible um, and so they could change it and, and manipulate people. And so they, they didn't want everybody to read the Bible. They didn't want to have the Bible in everybody's language. And so William Tyndale was convicted enough to say, you know what, this is important for God's people. However, under a 1408 law, translating the Bible into English was illegal. Guys, this wasn't that long ago. 1408, it was illegal to translate the Bible into English. Tyndale had to escape to Germany. Just think about that for a moment. Where they're translating the first ever copy of the English New Testament, he smuggled 1,800 English Bibles across the channel into England and, believe, and believers held secret meetings in their homes to read the Bible in their own language for the first time. Wow. I don't know. That just hits, that just hits me in a place, right? Where he'd be willing to sacrifice his safety and his life to get 1,800 Bibles into people who've never read the Word of God in their own language. And they were hiding. They were reading it in secret, knowing if they were you know, found out, they could go to prison or even death during this time. Would we be willing to do that? If we were back then, in this moment, would we be willing to give up our life to just read this book. Let's continue. Tyndale was arrested, but after a year of torture, he refused to recant. I mean, you want to talk about the resolve of somebody, right? He's being tortured, and he refuses to recant. He refuses to deny Jesus. He was burnt at the stake. His final words were a prayer. God, open the eyes of the king of England. Like, like just think about Man, the character and integrity of this man. He's not cursing the king. He's not complaining. Okay? He, he's being burnt at the stake. And his final words are a prayer. Open the eyes of the king of England. His prayer was answered. Several years later, the king recanted. Henry VIII allowed the Bible to be translated to English for the first time in history. Incredible, incredible stories. And there's, there's hundreds of those, of people willing to give up their life to translate and print the Word of God. So uh, where I want to end today, I want to end with some facts here, some really cool facts about Scripture according to Wycliffe's Global Alliance, okay? According to uh, Wycliffe's Global Alliance, the Bible has been translated into this many languages, okay? The full Bible... It's been translated into 736 languages, which represents 6 billion people. Okay? The New Testament has been translated into 1,658 languages, which represent 824 million people. So there's portions of the Bible that are translated into 1,264 languages, which represents 449 million people. So here's the total of languages. 6,000 658 different languages with at least some scripture that represents 7.23 billion people, 97% of the population. 
uh, over the last couple years, there's been a movement from these Bible translators. And the 10 best Bible translators have now gotten together and they have formed this uh, alliance and they're sharing resources. And basically what they've said now is let's find the rest of the languages throughout the whole earth. Let's come together. Let's translate the Bible so every single language on earth has a translation of the Bible. Guys, they're doing this right now as we speak. Now, I always love to kind of bring in the return of Jesus and, and the end of the world into all of this kind of stuff. And so this is where I want to end today because last week we talked about thinking that the third temple needs to be built before Jesus returns. And, and we kind of walked through that, that that's not necessarily needs to happen for Jesus to return. Uh, another thing that, that you know, I used to believe in, in, in is that every single person needs to have a translation of the gospel in their language. They need to have a gospel uh, presentation before Jesus uh, returns. Now, um, where we get this from is from Matthew 24, 13 through 14. Let's go ahead and uh, read it. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. And I know for me, I grew up thinking that this, like, like the gospel had to go through every single nation, you know, the, the, the islands and the tribes everywhere. But many scholars believe that even the Apostle Paul, like, like this happened after Pentecost. And even the Apostle Paul and his missionary work going throughout all the nations has checked off that box and that not everybody actually needs to have a translation of the Bible in their hands because we can't limit Jesus through this process. You don't think Jesus could go and appear to these people in the island or the Amazon jungle himself and preach to them and get them all saved? Like people are having visions and dreams of Jesus all over the world. Jesus is coming to them. He's preaching to them and they are getting saved. There's Muslims and, and Buddhists and people all over the world that this is happening. And so we can't limit God in this. Now, maybe you, you're, you're holding true to that. Well, guess what? We're 97% loading, okay? We've got about 3% loading left if you hold true to that. But Man, I'm not, man, I'm not going to limit God of what he can do or when he wants to come back. I truly believe the more that I research, the more I get into this, that God can come back at any moment whenever he wants. And again, for us, what does that do? What does that do? That gets us to focus on God's scripture, to focus on our lives and focus on the people around us that need the love of Jesus that need to experience God's word. Who is that in your life that you need to invite into this beautiful relationship with Jesus? Who is that in your life that you need to invite to God's house and allow them to experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus? Come on, let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. First things first, maybe you'd say this morning, Pastor, I've never said yes to Jesus. And I need to now. 
Or maybe you've drifted from the truth of God. And today's the day where you recommit your life to Christ. And what's amazing about God is the moment you say yes is the moment all of his promises come flooding in. His grace and his love and his mercy come flooding in. And eternal life is yours. I would just ask that every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. If that's you this morning, just slip up your hand. I just want to pray with you today. This is your personal declaration of faith. Yep, just put it up and put it down. Yep, this is between you and God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I would just ask this morning that we'd all repeat this prayer as we help those making the greatest decision of their life today. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for what you did on the cross. And I ask this morning that you would forgive me of all my sins. That you would come into my life and be my Lord and King. And from this day forward, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give them a hand clap today. Heaven is rejoicing.